podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit Events, Episode 11, recorded Saturday, February 19th, 2022. Amy Webb and the Genesis Machine. Our annual survey is almost done. We'd like to get your thoughts. We want your feedback. Go to twit.tv slash survey22 to take it now before it closes at the end of uh, the month. Survey helps us understand our audience so we can make your listening experience even better. It just shouldn't take more than a few minutes. Go to twit.tv slash survey22 to take it. And thanks in advance. If you'd like to support the Twit Podcast Network, you could join Club Twit for $7 a month, ad-free versions of all of our shows. We also give you access to the Club Twit Discord and shows like Stacy's Book Club, the Untitled Linux Show, This Week in Space, and a whole lot of special events. Plus, the Twit Plus feed with material that doesn't appear in any other podcast. Club Twit, $7 a month. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. And thanks for your support. Hey, everybody. Yes, it's time for triangulation. We haven't done a triangulation in a while, but when you get a chance to talk to somebody like Amy Webb, you take it. Amy uh, is one of my favorite guests. She's a regular on Twit, of course, and has written a, a couple of really important and very interesting books. You can see them actually on uh, the set. We've interviewed her for all of them. I believe The Signals Are Talking, which was about being a futurist and how futurists work. The Big Nine, which is about the big nine tech companies in the U.S. and in China. And she's got a brand new one that is really compelling. This just came out on Valentine's Day. Uh, the Genesis Machine. Our Quest to Rewrite Life in the Age of Synthetic Biology. Welcome, Amy Webb. It's great to talk hey, to Leo. you. Hey, Leo. It's always if, great to talk to you. I don't know if you. we did a triangulation on the signals or talking, but we had you uh, on Twitter. Yeah, it was early. That was pretty early on. I think yeah. I met you after that. Yeah, I think it was after that. Anyway, this has been, uh, we've been uh, talking over the last couple of years. You've been working on this book uh, with Andrew Hessel, who is uh, a scientist working in biotech, right? Right. Uh, this, I actually started working on this book while I was writing the last book, which if anybody is out there writing a book, I, I don't recommend. Um, one but, at a time, please. Yeah, one at a time. But it's interesting. A lot of the same companies, a lot of the same people in AI cross over into biology. Um, and I was just really curious as to why that was the case. And that led me down this <laughs> rabbit hole that I found hard getting back out of. And now there's a book about it. It's really a fascinating subject, and it all, it kind of begins with uh, CRISPR. Uh, actually, begins uh, even earlier with Genentech in the seventies, coming up with a, a synthetic insulin, which was a lifesaver, quite literally, for uh, type one diabetics. Uh, but genetic and synthetic biology is really something somewhat new, thanks to machine learning, uh, the speed of our computers and things like that it is it is a world we've talked about for years but it's finally kind of started to happen right yeah um so for those of you not familiar with this term synthetic biology much like ai synthetic biology is just an umbrella term that encompasses many different biotechnologies and the point of synthetic biology is to redesign or to design organisms to have new and improved purposes. Um, and the way that you do that is by using 
um, genetic code instead of binary. So in you know the world of AI and the world of computers, we have ones and zeros. And in biology, there's ACTG. Those are the, the building blocks of life. Um, and if we can get to the code level of life, um, then that gives us a lot of new opportunities, a lot of new ways to influence what the outcomes might be. And, and that means we could potentially make life um, at the molecular level adaptable to different environments um, or to create new versions of life to have different purposes. So these techniques are going to give us more control over nature. It does at some point influence the future of how we as humans evolve, but in the nearer term, it's going to give us optionality to deal with climate change and some of the other existential threats we're, we're managing. And you're of course um, a, a futurist. We've talked about that on our shows before. So you like to think about trends and think how companies can strategize. In this case, it's really not just uh, companies. It's how we as humans strategize for a very different world. The first half of the book talks about uh, the various technologies uh, and and what they are. The second half is fun. It's uh, a projection into the future, what the future might look like if some of these technologies um, take over. What do you think the big what is what are the big technologies that are coming that we're going to see really change our world? Yeah, so I think maybe it's useful to just break down a tiny bit how all of this works because okay. for those who are fans of all of your shows, they're really interested in tech. And they this is very it. much a yeah, so this is like very much the tech side of biotech. The people who are working in this field largely are they have engineering backgrounds um, who also happen to get interested in biology. So they're engineers, they're computer scientists. Um, and basically the way to think about this is that we can program biological structures the way that we program computers, or at least similarly to how we program computers. So DNA sequences, they get loaded into software tools. You can imagine a kind of text editor or a, like an old school HTML editor, um, but for DNA code, and um, if, you, if you know how to read and use the code, you just make edits. And then once that code has been written to you know, satisfaction, um, then a new DNA molecule gets printed from scratch on something akin to a DNA printer. That part of the process, by the way, is called synthesis. Um, and Are we, do we have DNA printers now? Oh, yeah. In fact, um, a lot the... China is uh, is home to one of the world's largest companies. It's called BCI Genomics um, that does a lot of the, the synthesis, a lot of the printing. Wow. And um, today you can print out DNA chains that are several thousand base pairs long. And you can create things like new, new pathways within cells. Um, you can even recreate a cell's entire genome. But it's because of AI that we've started to see this huge boost in the field. And basically, the better that AI becomes, the more biological applications that we're going to be able to test and build. So that brings me back to what you asked, which is, well, what's out there? Um, shucks, I meant to send you a bottle of this. I will do this, Leo, A bottle of what? <laughs> a bottle of bourbon. Oh, okay. Um, I meant to, I just realized, I forgot to send it to you. A, so a genetically a synthesized bourbon? Yes, yes, and I, I will I will order one tonight and make sure that you get it. So there's a company that is making bourbon, uh, or it's making whiskey, uh, that has the same type of play, flavor profile 
that, you know, a barrel aged whiskey that has has, you know, taken forever to make many, many years. Um, but they start with by, by sort of deconstructing the genetic profile of a whiskey that they like. And then they put it in a bioreactor instead of in a in an oak barrel. And, you know, it's ready in a matter of weeks versus, you know, 16, 20, 30 years. So, but, but that's um, just chemistry, right? I mean, that's not that's life. Just chemistry. That's just chemistry. No. So let me give you, that's chemistry. Let me give you an example of life. Um, so about a week ago, uh, as we are talking right now, was the Super Bowl. And Americans ate a staggering amount of chicken. <laughs> you know, what, I don't know what you saw. That's the number about. one what? thing people eat in the Super Bowl is chicken? Yeah, yeah. Wings. Well, not the whole chicken. A lot of wings. Yeah, yeah. So, right. 1.45 <laughs> billion wings is what I saw. So, like, that's an obscene amount for one day. That's an obscene amount of chicken That's a lot wings. of flightless chickens out there. It's a lot. Well, right. So, so. It's a lot of chickens, you know, and commercial chicken farms aren't like the most humane places to grow up if you're a chicken. Um, They produce a lot of waste. It's not great for the environment. Um, So what if there was another way to do it? What if you started instead with a stem cell line from a heritage chicken, uh, like chickens that were never treated with antibiotics and weren't forced to grow quickly? um, and, And you took those stem cells and you incubated them inside of something called a bioreactor picture like a huge pressure cooker huge um and you you put into that bioreactor some delicious amino acids which would have been the same things that that the stem cells would have fed on inside of a mother hen anyways it'd be just like bourbon except you're making chicken just like bourbon Except it tastes like, right. So over time you get, um, over a period of weeks versus many, many months, you get actual chicken meat. So it's, it's indistinguishable from the original chicken, except that it didn't require any of the resources. You know, it was much more humane and there's no antibiotics. There's no, it's not the extra chemicals, no hormones or anything inside of that meat. And it's like chicken that tastes like chicken. Um, there's this, I was really disappointed. We were going to go to Hong Kong this month there and I wanted to go. There's a a shop in Hong Kong. That's the first in the world to be serving synthetic chicken. Yeah. So, well, there's actually one in, in uh, Singapore also. Maybe it was Singapore. Yeah, Yeah. 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 But they're popping up all over the place. And what I find so interesting is that at the moment, this chicken is like $17 proportion. Now this is, you know, I remember Sergey Brin eating uh, an impossible burger that was like a hundred thousand dollars. But right, so but now you can get that at White Castle, right? Right now you can get an impossible burger at White Castle. Yeah. Do you have White Castle out there? White Castle. No, I wish we did. Oh yeah, you can get an impossible slider. I did not know that. That's a um, very obscure reference. I I don't eat a lot of meat, but I love white castle. Well, you don't have to. You can now have a slider that you does no much. meat. There wasn't much meat in sliders to begin with. No, not so, to start with. But, okay, I can see, and I think, you know, with the population we have and with the food problems we have, the idea of synthetic meat would solve a lot of problems. Meat is a very expensive thing to produce environmentally. Um but, but there's a big problem with this, and that is there is a strong anti-genetically modified organism movement. Look yeah. how people act about GMOs. And you have the story in here of uh, golden rice, which is a, a really good example of this. Would you tell that story? 
Sure. It's really a, an awful, heart-wrenching story that begins with a scientist whose parents escaped the Holocaust. And uh, he knew, you know, he, he went through incredible suffering as a child and um, becomes a scientist and decides at some point that he, he sees malnutrition everywhere and wants to figure out some way to contribute. So this is where the story begins. And he decides after a couple of fits and starts to settle on rice. This is in part because uh, more people eat rice on this planet than just about anything else. And because at the end of his life, Confucius became a foodie, which is like the weirdest <laughs> thing. Um, Confucius like became a like a super foodie this, towards the end. This I did not wrote, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like wrote in his memoirs effectively um, that the the freshest vegetables, the broccoli, you know, the green of the broccoli looks best uh, set against the absolute white of rice. And so basically what this led to was a, a boom temporarily and everybody taking all the different the whole and, and all the other nutritious parts of the rice off of the rice to just leave behind the starchy interior. And that that's kind of what we eat now. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, the problem is that that's filling, but it's not nutritious. It's all the really nutritious at all. stripped off. Right. So what he thought was, is there a way that we could engineer a different rice? And what could, what other nutrients could we pack into that rice? And at some point, they figure out how to, how to stuff in um, a version of beta carotene, which would at least lead, you know, add uh, beta carotene, vitamin A, vitamin K, some other nutrients in. Now, it's not going to be a magic bullet, but something is better than nothing. They go through this entire process. And, and by the way, it turns out, um, if you have those deficiencies, you wind up with uh, significant eye problems. Mm -hmm. um, I actually quote my husband in the book because he's an eye doctor, as you know. And uh, he calls it, when you have that type of deficiency, uh, they call it religion-altering pain mm. because you will pray to any god to make it mm. go away. Mm. And it affects children. So mm. they figure out how to make rice that has extra nutrients in it by engineering it in a different way. Everybody's very excited about this. Um, and then it turns out that they, throughout all of this research, had to use a whole bunch of different uh, processes that had patents on them. This is one of the central themes of the books and, and one of the huge problems that's pervasive throughout all of tech, including biotech. And that's who owns the intellectual property. Um, in this case, there were like 70 different patents. And so once they got their proof of concept together, they realized... It's like there's no way to, to give the and they wanted to give it away. So they weren't gonna sell it. They were just gonna give the rice away, but it would have been in violation of everybody's patents. So they wind up with a, a company that says, listen, big pharma company, we will make the lawyer problems go away in exchange for you, you know, allowing us to market and brand the rice and you know be, have it be part of what we're building. Reluctantly, they say yes, which was a, probably a big mistake. They should have just been patient and tried to find another alternative. But this is what set Greenpeace and other activist groups off, um, because what they thought would happen would be that initially these farmers would get the rice, they would farm the rice, and then they would become dependent on the big pharma and the big ag companies. That's not what was likely to happen, but these stories and this misinformation, uh, it circles around quickly. And at the end, 
They finally had a crop that was being piloted. It was being tested. And a bunch of people showed up on the day that they were going to harvest it uh, for a protest. They um, they stomped down and like killed uh, the whole crop. Uh, and it turns out it wasn't local farmers in the Philippines where this was happening. It was it was protesters who had been hired and, and, and flown in. I completely understand people's concerns when it comes to genetically modified organisms. I partially blame um, terrible information campaigns around the bovine encephalitis uh, mad cow disease thing that was happening, whatever that was, 20 years ago, and the way that Dolly the sheep was handled. So I understand that people are absolutely concerned, and, and there have been problems in the agricultural sector. But, you know, the truth is that most things we consume today or that we are wearing today have been modified to some degree. So we have to make room for change. And the problem is that, you know, misinformation is just escalating and moving so fast at this point that, you know, I, I just I worry about what the future might look like. As a it's result. very much like AI. When you say AI, AI, people have that same reaction because of many science fiction films. When you say gen- genetically modified, people have the same reaction. But ultimately, um, there. They- yeah. And actually, we were just. I was, you made me think of I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, no, no. But you mentioned White Castle. Yeah. I, I do. I love White Castle. It's like the only fast food that I, I like. And I love it. I grew up in the Midwest. And um, anyways, so like, yeah, I will shove my face full of sliders. And not just sliders. I also like the chicken rings. Picture an onion ring, but it's made out of chicken. That is not a natural shape. There's no chicken with rings. All day long. No. Not a chicken wing, a chicken Ring. ring. Right. Like, okay. So okay. why? Here's the question. Why are we okay? <laughs> yeah, but like, why are we okay eating right. that? It's but not we are logical. Not, it's totally logical. It's just different, and and it's the like like people will eat chicken rings. Yeah. But a chicken grown in controlled conditions from a stem cell line from a chicken that's never been modified in any way like that somehow is like crosses a line. But and the I, reason I, I asked you to, down to, to tell yeah. you the golden rice story is it is in a nut in a kind of in a nutshell, the whole problem in many different ways. You know, the ideas of patents around this stuff, uh, the natural fears people have around this stuff. Did golden rice eventually is it it is now being eaten, right? Is it, so the last that I read was that I think about a month ago or so, they finally, finally, finally have a crop that they think is going to be ready. But this Good. story is like 20 years old. Yeah. And it could have right. saved millions of lives and untold suffering. Um, right. <clears throat> but unfortunately, and this is what worries me as I read your book, is that the, the governmental uh, issues, the just the human issues, the issues of patents, the issues of greed, all seem so insurmountable. Uh, and 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 the other problem is, and I'm going to have you talk a little bit about this. We're at a fork in the road. I mean, it's happening right now, and we're so ill prepared for this. And it could go in a couple of different ways. It could go in a very positive way. It could change the world, uh, but it could also go in a very negative way. And if we aren't prepared to think about it now and have the conversation now, it'll just go whatever way it goes. And probably that's not going to be the best. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, I think so. And that's also why why the book exists. Um, a lot of times scientists have deep conversations, but they have them behind closed doors. Um, and they're very careful about, you know, who knows what at what point and, and when. But the challenge on this one is that 
you know, if you look at what happened with misinformation around mm-hmm. COVID mm-hmm. and the messenger RNA vaccines, um, and not just the misinformation, but the a lot of people feel like they were just totally dismissed. And it's fine to be skeptical. You should be skeptical of a new medicine or a new anything. Like you should ask questions. Um, and I think I think people really talked down to people, made them feel dumb, which was really unfair. Um you know, and that just caused this chasm. And so now here we are. And like in a couple of years, the concerns you have about messenger RNA or just what's happening right now is going to be, you know, it's going to be so insignificant compared to what's on the horizon. i give you an example. Um, just a couple of days ago, it's a company in San Diego called Roswell Biotechnologies they just made a molecular microchip. So we're dealing with um, all different types of semiconductor chip shortages and chip issues. You're talking a lot about that in all the different shows. Everybody knows this. Um, and part of the problem is the way that the the places where the chips are designed, you know, geopolitical tensions, things like that. Well, what if we could shrink components down faster than Moore's law currently allows? Um, we can make a semiconductor chip that's actually smaller than a fingernail. It's smaller that that's microscopic um, that can that can be used as a processor, right? I mean, that is pretty extraordinary. There are microchips in basically every device that we interact with, our cell phones, our computers, our smart devices, like everything. So what if there was a very different way to approach microchips, semiconductors that changes the relationship that individual countries have with the suppliers um, at the moment, which are in Taiwan. And Taiwan is sort of embroiled with geopolitical issues with, you know, with China. Um, Speaking of China. Yeah, you talk a lot about that. China is not going to wait. And China has an advantage because they don't have a democratic process, which slows us down in the U.S. and makes it very difficult to get much done. They are completely autocratic. So they have already decided. Yeah. This is the future, and we are going to be players. Right. And I want to draw a, a distinction here because there's the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, Very which is good. the government. Yeah. Right. And then there's the technologists and the researchers and the scientists who right. are, I think, overwhelmingly not trying to destroy anything or do right. bad stuff. But they all work for the CCP ultimately. So they sure do. They do. And, yeah. you know, it's no secret that China has been out west and, and forcibly collected without informed consent, uh, DNA from the ethnic minority population, the Uyghurs, and built a national database. Like, unless you're developing specific therapeutics for a tiny fraction of your population, which doesn't make any sense, then what else would you be collecting those data samples for, right? Um, There's a very different, very, very different attitude there toward uh, stem cells and embryos and what's called genetic surgery. So this is going into the embryo and uh, performing uh, edits before it's implanted or doing the type of editing that is called germline editing, which means that whatever the edits are, are heritable. They get passed down Mm. from generation to generation. We already saw that happen. A Chinese um, scientist did it. Uh, That's right. And by the way, was disappeared. So was that the Chinese government just responding to pressure from the world community? Or was it, I mean... It's highly, highly unlikely, given the scope of that study, that this was like a rogue scientist yeah. who was just trying to, to get fame. That's what they that's what s- they said it was, but 
Right. I will say this experiment supposedly was done to protect uh, future generations to make them HIV resistant. Right. There's a reason for this. Even in the year 2022, when we have modern medicines and this is now a manageable disease, the stigma in China is unlike anything we've seen in the United States since we first heard about HIV AIDS. Um, it's it's really, really bad. So that is supposedly what the research was being done for. However, um, similar research had been performed in mice. And the purpose of that research was not HIV AIDS resistance. Uh, it was to increase cognitive function. You know, China's got closed doors. It's very hard to get information out. So was this really about HIV AIDS resistance or was this about trying to improve cognitive abilities, you know, it's very hard to tell. And it's highly improbable that all of the people, there were many couples, by the way, involved in the study, that they were truly informed in a way that was meaningful. Um, and it's, based hard on the reaction, to, it's hard to imagine yeah. that if uh, it seemed to be the case that you could create superhuman intelligence, uh, or athletic ability or any variety of things. And that seems to be the the case that that at least the Chinese government, the CCP, would not be pursuing that kind of research. Are, do you think it's possible they're trying to create superhuman intelligence? I mean, I definitely ability? think it's possible that there is experimentation happening to see if it's, you know, if they can bump IQs up a couple of clicks. Now, again... We barely understand how the brain works right. at this point. It's and complicated. We don't, yeah. It's complicated. We don't entirely understand intelligence and the current IQ measurements are not but always the, reliable. The word that eugenics said, conjures up a very scary specter. Yeah. And I could see why people would be concerned uh, about that. And again, that, and the knee-jerk reaction to that may end up being stopping some very important research that would be very valuable. Like, for instance, a germline that would make it impossible to catch malaria or HIV would be good, right? Right. So I think if you talk to any bioethicist out there that, the, the, you know, and there's like 170 or 190, I forget the number of countries that have come together and, and decided that germline editing, so heritable gene editing is, is, should be forbidden. And most bioethicists would say the same. You know, what I would say is we need to be open to, first of all, the possibility that somebody's going to do it anyways. We should assume that at some point somebody will or some country will. Um, and we should also not uh, immediately catastrophize. You know, you can already do genetic selection for something called triple X syndrome. So if you're, um, you get pregnant or you've got, you're using IVF, in vitro fertilization, you've got some embryos. Typically they, they screen embryos now for different markers if you've got an embryo that has triple X, <clears throat> one of the outcomes of that tends to be lower, much lower IQ, so lower cognitive ability. Okay, so, so that means you can screen for that. What you cannot do is just screen for markers of lower cognitive ability. I would argue that to some degree, you know, the people who can afford IVF tend to be wealthier. They tend to be, you know, a, a more homogenous group. In some way, we're already making choices about what future generations look like. And one of the concerns I have, and we explain this in the book, is that I am worried about a future genetic divide. Um, what I'd prefer to see is that these technologies are just discussed about in the open and we make them available to everybody. But at the moment, I don't see that happening. 
So we have already seen a variety of um, Genesis machine type technologies. CRISPR is out there. Um, you mentioned sheep cloning, Dolly. Uh, yeah. In many cases, uh, these uh, techniques have been disastrous or have been shown to have flaws. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of AI, the AI winter we went through, the difficulty in making self-driving cars work. Sometimes I think that maybe we've got this near future that is actually much farther out than we think much harder to do. Where, yeah. where, where do you stand on this? How close is this kind of stuff? So I, I love, yeah, that, that's a great analogy, Leo, because you're right. Um, you know, the AI winter happened because after 1956, when Minsky and McCarthy and that crew were at Dartmouth, uh, thinking about the future of AI and then others got interested and then there were media interviews and, you know, they're making these crazy, insane promises, money being thrown at AI and computer science. And, you know, the projects failed to, to materialize. Right. People just didn't have the patience. I'm a little worried of the same thing happening right now, even on a more accelerated track. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, some biotech veterans raised $3 billion with a B dollars uh, to create Altos Labs. Um, on the premise that the machinery of life can of cells can be reprogrammed, which yes, I mean that's what a lot of this is about. But a three billion dollar, uh, three billion dollar investment on what kind of value? Like, what was the valuation for that? Right. Um, my, right. My worry is that at some point those investors are going to want their they want to see a return, and and this has already gone badly for some other companies in the biotech space. There was a company called Amaris that was doing some phenomenal work. Um, and they were scientists, not startups and not decacorn, you know, decacorns, uh, who, who knew what to do. And, you know, investors got shaky. And, and now this is a company that at some point pivoted to biofuels, which was just never going to work. And I think now they're making some type of organic hair care. I, I forget what they're doing now. <laughs> Isn't that um, sad? So my, my point in saying this is, yeah, it's just like there's so much capital being thrown well, at We only at have a couple space. of models. We either have the startup model or we have the government investment model. Right. And, and you talk about right. the race the to is, sequence the genome in this. And in fact, yep. private Craig Venter won because yeah. he was willing to play a little fast and loose compared to the government the NIH and the James Watsons of the world. By the way, I didn't realize, I knew James Watson was a bad man. I had no idea. Oh. Was, you, have a, you have a quote in this book that is reprehensible. The guy, uh, Watson and Crick, of course, discovered DNA after stealing the uh, work of Rosalind Franklin. Um, so uh, to get, I'm sorry, I went down a rat hole. Uh, <laughs> okay. But boy, I, when I read that passage, I went, oh my God, this guy was worse than I ever yeah, it's really even imagined. Speaking of Watson, eugenics, he wanted to make oh, yeah. only pretty girls, you know? Only pretty girls. He didn't like people who were heavier. He had uh, a long list of... And this of, is recently. Uh, this isn't like yeah. in the 30s. <laughs> this is like 20 years ago he's talking about this stuff. So, yeah, Watson was was kind of a, a, a Do we need dude. a new model get to get back to the original question? Those Both the government moves too slowly. Private industry maybe has the wrong priorities, with mostly profit. Uh, right. Do we need a new model for this? So, you know, Leo, I feel like we've had this conversation before because mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. one of the core arguments I made about AI in the mm -hmm, last book. Mm -hmm. um, again, we, we have arrived at a similar point where the federal government in the United States has no long-term plan. We have drastically underfunded science and technology. Uh, we got nobody helming long-term decisions. 
And the, and so therefore the private sector is kind of been responsible for basic research in areas that are really challenging. Um, China doesn't have that problem. So both artificial intelligence and synthetic biology are part of the CCP's what are called five-year plans. And they produce these five-year plans, you know, every couple of years and they execute on them. And they've got sovereign wealth fund money that's dedicated to making sure this gets built out. And they've got this coordinated, very top-down approach. Now, you could argue that that's going to stifle innovation and it might, but what's going to happen here in the U.S.? I, I am very concerned that 10 years from now, the arguments we're having today about big tech are going to become arguments about big bio. And AI is one thing, but we're talking about biology, which tends to, you know, it, it tends to do what it wants. And this is on a planetary scale. So I think it's unforgettable. I'm not saying that the government should go it alone, but we've got to have much better long-term thinking and we've got to share some of the investment around. Um, you know, otherwise we're, everybody's at stake. It's it's not just like competitive national advantage or strategic advantage. It's us. It's everyday people. Yeah. Um, you, you, you quote a survey in here that says people trust scientists, but they really don't trust science. Yeah. That's a sad, sad reality. Um, you know, it was a I don't know study. if they trust scientists anymore either, by the way. I don't know that when they, I think that study is about a year old now. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's possible that 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 is different now, but I did think it was striking at some point that scientists were up there with like kindergarten teachers and religious leaders. Um, but, but the science itself, you know, people just had no, you know, had a lot of distrust about there are risks associated with this technology. There are crazy new cyber biosecurity risks that nobody is thinking about. I mean, you can, you can sort of send benign genetic code to get it printed out and somebody can inject malware um, during that process and get, you know, a horrible pathogen back in the mail by accident. And there's also ways to engineer individual viruses to, you know, there's there's some bad stuff. But I'm actually worried more than anything about misinformation because yeah. um, that's hard. That's in some ways even harder to control than biology, which tends to self-replicate and sustain. You talk about the nine risks in here. We've kind of covered a number of them. Um, you also end the book with a, a, a way forward. So uh, I don't want to. I don't want to imply that this is uh, this is. You're going to read this and go, "Oh, we're screwed." Um, <laughs> Weirdly enough, one of the, the the strangest feedback I've gotten about this book is that it's. Everybody's like, wow, this is really optimistic. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. like you're very hopeful. This is the most optimistic uh, take on all of this. And I literally, nobody's ever said my name and optimistic in the same <laughs> sentence before. Well, you know, it, we've actually had an interesting experiment over the last two years with the pandemic that in many ways mirrors the kind of issues we're going to face as the Genesis machine comes uh, to life. Um, our reaction to the mRNA vaccine has been very polarized, uh, partly because it's mRNA, right? Uh, people people presume it's uh, got all sorts of malicious intent because it's genetically modified. You yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you a crazy story, like a crazy story. Yeah. Um, so my, so I, have you ever heard of a show called Coast to Coast? Oh, yeah. Leo? <laughs> oh, yeah. Art Bell. It's on my, it's on my same syndicator as me, so I know it very well. And 
Okay. Yeah. I had never heard the show before. My publicist. It's considered amusement, not fact. Okay. Well, here's what I learned. Did they put you on Coast to Coast? Yes, they did. With and George I did not Norrie? know anything. Yep. Oh my. Who's a who's a very sweet guy. He's a great guy. He's very he's very nice. Um, it was two o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. Uh, when they open the phone lines. Oh, yeah. And, the crazies come out at people, night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but here's here's the thing. They're not they're not crazy. They're just scared. And I, I totally get it. And there's one who called in who felt pretty strongly that her soil had been contaminated mm-hmm. with, with uh, COVID and didn't mm-hmm. know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. There was somebody else who felt like... Um, I heard a lot of stories and I wound up doing an hour of sort of crisis debunking communications, <laughs> you know, and I think it's because you, you got to join me on my radio show. Sometimes I get calls like that all the time. It was, um, <laughs> well, I, I had a huge change of heart. I'm actually really grateful that I had an opportunity to do it, to meet real people and see yeah. how concerned they are. Yeah. And again, I think if somebody at the beginning of all of this had just said, let's let's not talk about this in a sciencey way. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about this in a people way. Right. And so in the, like two thirty in the morning, some guy was talking about how he, he just wants his natural defenses, his own body to fight it off. That's better. And I said, well, I'm not a scientist, but I play a lot of video games. So let me tell you my perspective <laughs> um, about The Legend of Zelda. So um, I you know, sometimes I go away from the game and my family, who doesn't love me apparently, continues playing as me. And then I return to the game and I'm on some new level. I do have tools, but I have absolutely no idea how to use them. And then out of nowhere, like this actually happened out of nowhere, there's this like blobby translucent thing that shows up. I don't know what it is. You got to work your way up. You can't just you can't just go to another level without the experience. Yeah. But the point is, like, I, my character, Link, has never seen this thing before. Right. I don't know what this is. And right. so I don't know if it's if I'm supposed to eat it or if I'm supposed to kill it. I don't know. Just let your natural um, defenses take care of it. Well, your natural defenses can't take care of it because they can't recognize what it is. So right. therefore, even though I did have the tool, the, the, you know, like, I just didn't, I was missing the instructions on how to use it. Right. That's the challenge with SARS-CoV-2. It's this new translucent blobby thing that we've just never encountered before. And we, we do have natural defenses, but unless those defenses have a set of instructions, then your body doesn't know what to do. The messenger RNA is the set of instructions that tell your body right. which tools to use to go fight it. Wonderful analogy. By the way, did that yeah, work? Yeah, and did it was like, I should do work. Yeah, well, actually, I think I did. And I I had this sort of moment where I was like, why can't we just, I feel like we're just Just so dismissive of people. Just explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually really grateful that I had an opportunity to meet people that I wouldn't normally talk to. Um, And I recognize, I appreciate them and I recognize their fears. And so again, like part of what I try to do in general is, um, help explain the technologies. I'm not always successful, but I try to, I try to explain them, whether I'm talking to our clients or I guess people at two 30 in the morning, um, this synthetic biology stuff is going to give us serious optionality. And I, I frankly think if we really, really want to go to Mars or live off planet, we're going to have to engineer ourselves to do that. And I, I think it's possible 
But we're also going to have to open up our minds to other possibilities of what it means to procreate. You know, I hope in the future we have a ton of sex, but we don't only uh, have sex to have babies. I hope we have other ways to do it using advanced techniques and biotech and IVF. You know, I hope we bring a lot of our farming indoors where we can control the circumstances more. And yeah, that's going to have to mean that we edit some stuff. We genetically modify things, but it's not necessarily bad. It's just it's just different, right? And Genetic modification is not new. Since Gregor Mendel figured out that he could change beans... In yeah. his in his monastery garden, we've we've been able to do genetic modification uh, for years, and I think you're going to find people who say, you know, those heritage chickens are much better than the modern giant breasted chickens made in manufacturing facilities. Uh, That's right, and and I actually don't disagree with them. So I think that that kind of thought that maybe we sh- it's it's a somewhat religious thought we shouldn't mess with God's creation. Uh, is is deeply felt by a lot of people. And a lot of people have yeah. nostalgia for the way things used to be. Well, I think the religion piece is really important. So this is something else that's very different in the United States than it is in other countries. Um, we have deeply held religious beliefs here, and we aren't great at having conversations about where we are misaligned. Um, I think that some people automatically assume that if you're really religious, then you also must be very anti editing life or using stem cells. It's actually not true. Francis Collins, who at some point was the director of the NIH, and now that Eric Lander has resigned from OSTP, Office of Science and Technology Policy, Francis is back as a sort of co-advisor in some way. At any rate, um, very accomplished scientist, very, very, very religious, and has written books about the coexistence of science and his beliefs he actually believed that the stem cells should be used, um, that, that we had a moral we have a moral imperative to improve life. And we already have the stem cell lines. Yeah. So I just I think we have to give ourselves the ability to, to have hard conversations, but to hear each other out rather than, you know, rushing to judgment, which yeah. is hard. Yeah. Very good. Um, I, I sometimes, though, worry that. Well, just watching the what happened during COVID, that uh, feelings ultimately will trump yeah. rational thought. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, well, you know me, I'm always a, an advocate of school, um, right. like making sure we teach kids. Uh, that's apparently becoming a little more challenging uh, because of different political viewpoints. I don't know. I, um, I my mean, feeling if, is if, if something's going to be politicized, it's going to be the Genesis yeah. machine. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I've, we've gotten like amazing reviews from scientists, Good. Uh, Good. you know, and we've gotten some pretty significant hate mail uh, from people who feel like we're advocating that that we, uh, you know, we we tinker with life. Life is being tinkered with all the time. Um, and this year, we're going to, in a couple of months, start getting pictures back from the James Webb Telescope, which is literally going to redefine our rules of reality, like what we believe. We just have to be, I don't know, I don't have a solution for this. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a futurist, I'm a quantitative futurist, so I build models. I'm accused most of the time of being robotic, like a passionate robot, but like robotic. I, 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 I don't... I don't know how to relate to feelings first, but I acknowledge that that is 
that's reality. You know, I heard it the other night. And so I think the best thing to do is to lead with empathy and patience, you know, and just hopefully over time wear people down. Yeah. I worry that there'll be a kind of bifurcation of society and a lot of science fiction uh, talks yeah. about this, where there's the people who who say, you know, I believe in progress and those who say, no, I want things to stay as they are and never the twain shall meet. Um, right, because we haven't started, but we wouldn't really talk about optimizing. So there's, um, you know, there are, there's a movement of people who are microdosing right now, which is not genetic editing, but it is tinkering with your own neurochemistry. Um, that's not accessible to everybody. Um, it's not well understood by everybody. I mean, we're, we're already subdividing ourselves in different ways. Yeah. Um, I think the, the place where a lot of people get stuck is this sort of permanence. Um, because once you edit at the germline, you actually do create a permanent change. Now, could you reintroduce whatever it was that you edited back out? Probably. So that's the complaint about germline is it's permanent. But yeah. but there's less of a complaint about just a one generation. Like you, you can have a big brain for one generation, but you can't pass it <laughs> on to your kids. That's okay. Um, I don't, you know, we're pretty far away from anything like that. Yeah, but, let's, uh, let's hope so. <laughs> but I guess what I'm talking about now is like organic foods are already out of reach for a lot of people. Right. It's more expensive. Right. You know, so what happens when we not only have organic, but we also have organic and enhanced like a tomato that gives you that has like some of the properties of Adderall that just you eat tomato. You have like a pesto tomato sandwich and you can really focus on needlepoint or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, I, like I worry that. that. I think that sounds good. I don't I'll take that. I think it sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, you have to ban it. You have to ban it from chess tournaments. But other than that, I think it sounds delicious. Yeah. Right. But but that's the question, right? I mean, we we already have a divide because some kids, uh, some people are able to get access to neurotropics, neuroenhancers, yeah. legally or illegally. Um, and that's giving them an, uh, a leg up anyways. Well, so we're just beginning to, to grapple with a digital divide. Now you're going to have a, a genetic divide. Right. That's one right, of the risks I, you're talking about. Yeah, actually. that's absolutely yeah. a risk. And yeah. again, we, we have to think this through. Um, but we can't wait to have the thorny, wicked, challenging conversations about this stuff until it's too late. But you um, know how it's going to happen because it always happens. We do our homework the night before. It's, yeah. it's going to happen only when we can do it. And it's, we're right up against the crisis or the Chinese are doing it. And now we go, what do we do? You point out that science moves slowly. It, 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 absent a space race to get to the moon, most of the time this stuff moves really too slowly uh, that's right because the community tends to err on the side of conservatism so yeah. they tend to be pretty conservative um there's a lot of regulation and different things that have to happen for good reasons but there's not coordination and at this point because of the covid there's not a lot of people uh who are able to do some of that work again we just we don't see the same processes in place in china let me ask you about um, something you mentioned in the book which is something very timely and that's gain of function research yeah uh we sent uh, uh money to china um the nih did to do gain of function research on bat viruses because we wanted to plan for the future but what we ended up doing is making super viruses that may or may not have escaped from the lab. Um, you're, you're against that idea. Very much so. Um, so for those of you not familiar with what gain of function is, so this is when you 
uh, have some type of living organism, in this case a virus, and you intentionally mutate it to see if you can make it stronger, more virulent. You might say, uh, uh, why would you ever want to do that? <laughs> right. So let me Quite give recently. you a... Right. And, and this sort of alludes to the whole bioescalation and bio cybersecurity breach that I'm concerned about. Um, so in 2018, there was a, a re- well, actually before then, in between 20, like early 2000s, there was a Stony, Stony Brook University, or SUNY, New York. Stony, Stony Brook. Brook. Yeah. Um, some researchers that were trying to figure out whether or not they could synthesize a live virus, just basically using off-the-shelf stuff. So whatever sequences they could they could get through public channels, um, off-the-shelf chemicals, mail-order DNA. Um, and this project, to be fair, was financed in part through DARPA, uh, trying to figure out how people might in the future develop bio-warfare. Uh, bio at any rate, so they painstakingly put together these you know, short stretches of DNA um, and they added in some additional code just so they could distinguish it as synthetic. Anyhow, the whole point is um, that, that they were able to do it. Uh, they, they, were, they had recreated polio virus in the lab using materials that basically anybody could get to and, and anybody with the knowledge could, could do. You know, and we have quickly forgotten this, but at some point, polio virus was just you know, horrendous um, and impossible to stop. It was now, the last time we this. all agreed vaccines would be a good right. thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they did this um, as a warning and the and DARPA was trying to figure out how to prevent this. But that's that's prevention in 2011. So about 10 years later, there was a researcher in Rotterdam that figured out how to augment the H5N1 bird flu virus. So, again, pre SARS-CoV-2, this was actually the most virulent and the most deadly um, the, the most deadly virus, the mortality rate at that point was 59%. The cause of the 1918 did, pandemic and the endemic flu that we still get yeah. a vaccination for every year, H1N1. Yeah. Right. So this, this scientist, what he did was intentionally, and I'm going to use his words here, mutate the hell oh, out of H5N1 in order to make it airborne. Um, oh, and, H5N1. And okay. H5, sorry, yeah. H5, yeah, 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 yeah. H5N1. Anyhow, that's not the flu virus, it, just to be clear. That's no, no, no. A, that's this a far, that's, what is that, flu. the bird flu? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he made it airborne. Nice. Um, and transmissible, not just between birds and humans, but humans to humans. Oh, and, smart fella. Right. So again. What could like, possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? Why would you do that? And um, there, the answer is because you're making a weapon. There is no reason yeah. to do that. There is no reason, I think to do any gain of function research because at this point you know Google has figured out how to model basically every protein out there yeah, we, we, that's a really important thing we right. now in fact this is how the mrna vax bat when you went back to genentech trying to figure out how to create a synthetic insulin that was a hard problem that had to be solved basically by yeah. trial and error experimentally we can that's now right. simulate with gene folding, right. we can simulate all of that stuff. We no longer have right. to make these things. That's right. There is, from my point of view, it is uh, inexcusable that there is no reason to do gain of function research. Um, and even if, so again, like it's played out. So fine, you figured out the most virulent strand of some virus. Awesome. Um, what does that mean? So you're going to 
create some type of therapeutic or antidote or antiviral or something in the event that that happens, assuming that that mutation goes exactly the way that you think it's going to, there's like an infinite number of ways that things could mutate. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That's the, the so-called mad scientist problem, which we may also never solve. <laughs> we mean, but we also have to acknowledge that, um, that somebody, you know, we can create these guardrails. Mil- and, military, and but militaries, I could see both ours and theirs yeah. working on stuff like that. Bioweapons. Right. Terrifying. So, or even, I mean, look at what's happening right now with Ukraine. So most of what we're seeing is rhetoric coming from all these different sides. In fact, this morning, the separatists, there's like a faction within Ukraine that are separatists that are... Um, announcing to people that like war is imminent and they should pack up their things and get ready. So there's, there's just this current escalation that is a lot at the moment about posturing, or I hope Um, maybe Putin has already waged a war. I I don't know. Um, But, but escalation is really dangerous. And the last two countries on earth that we want to engage in any kind of bio escalation or bio cyber escalation with are Russia and China. Yeah. We, we don't want that, and they don't want that with us. So we can figure out a way to create guardrails and make this be much more about collaboration rather than competition, you know? The but, people so you worry means- about are the people with nothing to lose. Uh, That's right. And it's one of the reasons we have to have a global economy and a global society because we have to be involved. I, I don't really worry about China so much because they're tied so economically, so directly yeah. to our survival. I'm not sure Russia is starting to turn a little bit into a rogue state. Uh, fortunately, terrorists, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, don't have the scientific technologies to do this I mean, kind of thing. We don't know. That's that's part of the issue, right? Um, so I might, you know, I... Uh, I do have a concern that at some point there's some, I here again, I just want to call, I, I want to say that overwhelmingly, I think that the <laughs> what's on the horizon is positive. I really do. I'm turning that. you into the pessimist that I am. So go but, ahead. You stay well, optimistic. But I'm a pragmatist. Okay. I'm a pragmatist. Good. And so the worst thing for us to do is to ignore what's happening yes, to I assume agree. that. Yeah. Like, yes, probably like, Nobody has anything to gain if China and the United States get embroiled in some kind of race to create superhumans. That would be terrible and there would be all kinds of problems with that, right? Um, but, But what about other places where they have less to lose and much more to gain in, for example, creating some type of crop that might decimate, like kudzu, but worse, right? right? If you drive up and down the 95 quarter on the East Coast, there's, there's kudzu The world's everywhere. worst invasive species. <laughs> right, and and maybe... Death by you know, a thousand and, uh, kudzu plants. <laughs> yeah, death by, that's right, that's right. You, there's so, a great chapter which you say your uh, co-author, Andrew uh, Hessel, wrote about Elon Musk. Uh, there's another example that we hadn't really thought about, but we now have some very, very, very wealthy individuals who might have their own agenda, who might have yeah. the means to pursue things uh, like this that are in their interest, but not necessarily in societies, or maybe uh, they're, they're microdosing enough that they believe it's in society's interest to live underground <laughs> on Mars. Maybe they think that. Yeah. That is so right. So that, that's actually a greater concern that I have than, um, than somebody going rogue. I, the concern that I've got is that, you know, where do, if you take ransomware out to the next several different steps, 
you know, what if somebody holds your genetic information for ransom? Um, you know, what if somebody breaches your personal DNA store, your personal genetic code? It's, it's like stuff like that. Like, or, you know, what if um, there's malware injected in, and we, because there was already an example of this where malware got injected into a sample that uh, left benign and sort of came back in the mail. They, it was intentional. Right. Um, they wanted to see if there was a vulnerability. So, but, but here's the thing. Like, you could I, do gain of function I, on malware as well as viruses. Well, you can use malware to turn benign genetic code into a pathogenic virus. And I talked to some friends uh, at different parts of the government, military folks, Homeland Security folks, talked to lots of people. And I said, you know, if this happened for real, who's in charge? And that's yeah. actually the basis for one question. of the scenarios yeah. in the book. Um, there's a scenario. The middle of the book is all short stories that are sort of fictional sounding. They're great, They're all though. I love them. Yeah. What happened well, the when FB- we canceled aging? I mean, yeah. well, I love it. The one that's called the memo that descri- that starts with a, a catastrophe and a lot of people who die inside of a lab is the basis for like this sort of malware thing is the basis for that scenario. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we wrote that is because I spent days trying to get an answer to, hey, if this really happened, who's in charge? And the answer is nobody knows. Right. So, so we don't really have a plan to think through cyber biosecurity breaches. Which Emergency is, assistance no. requested to combat novel cyber biological attack. Yeah. And who would be in charge? All right. I've been, you see, this is the problem with media. You got to watch out for this, Amy. We always want to take it down the scary path because that's more engaging. That's more yeah. interesting. So I'm going to give you a chance to cheer us all up. Give us the optimist's future. Yeah. And again, I think anybody who has spent any time with me knows that my strengths are on the dystopian risk side, not the <laughs> rainbow sunshine side. But and, um, and I hope in your work, which you you talk to very, very important people all the time, that they start to listen. I hope they're listening to you about this stuff. I hope they're reading yeah. the Genesis machine and starting to think about this stuff. Here's what I think is on the other side of this. Um, we probably are never going to align on things like climate mitigation strategies. Um, we keep having these big global meetings and like there's too many economic incentives that are out of whack. Yep. You can't force China and India to just shut down all of nope. their coal plants. There doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. So why do, you know, yes, let's keep pursuing CO2 reduction, but let's also look at CO2 as a feedstock and let's engineer some plant um, that's controllable that sucks the CO2 out of the air and like poops out for organic fertilizer. But that's not a silver bullet, but it is an approach that we could do in different places for the purpose of, you know, trying to deal with some of what's on the horizon. Clothing, um, you can already create nylon using synthetically altered materials. You know, this kind of stuff, again, if, if big retailers sort of, understand what it is and they make the investments at the right time, they could continue to have fast fashion models. So the business models um, and turn around, you know, turn around clothing lines over and over again without harming the planet. Fashion is really bad for the planet. What if you you bought super cheap clothing that was intended to expire? It came with an expiration date. You're, you wear it once or twice. You don't ever wash it. You just compost it afterwards. 
I know these sound like crazy harebrained ideas, but the point is that the technology exists now to start doing some of that. And if we can just unshackle ourselves from trying to rewrite the past, we can write a better future. Um, but, but we have to we have to start doing that, right? We have to, and we can start doing that by at least having a dialogue about it. So, you are right, and I hope we do, and I hope everybody listens to Amy Webb and reads the book because you know what? It's a really great read. It's a it's actually a page turner. The structure of it's really fun, and it raises a lot of interesting things. And I think, you know, in many ways, it's it's more interesting and more fun to think about all the potentialities. And you know, if if history is any teacher in this, we'll probably do both. We'll probably do the horrific things, and we'll probably do the wonderful things. And uh, let's just be ready for both. Because <laughs> because you know that's wise gonna, advice. Yeah, we're sage gonna, advice. We're going to do them both. That's just the way humans <laughs> humans are. Uh, yeah. Really a good book. I, it's my favorite book yet. Uh, you really did a great job. The Genesis Machine. Amy Webb, Andrew Hessel. Uh, it's from Public Affairs Books, but you can... There's an there's an Audible version of this, I think, yes? Oh, yeah, there's Audible. Good. You can get it everywhere. And actually, I will reveal a tiny little secret. So the book has a bunch of Easter eggs in it that um, if you get to the end, there's a QR code. And if you scan the QR code, which I... I recognize now is like a really great way to share malware, but this is not malware, I promise. <laughs> I'm the one who made the QR code. Um, I put together a folder, like a Dropbox folder that has a ton of stuff, like a ton of stuff in it. If you're, if you actually want to go down the same rabbit hole that I did. So there's videos, that there's was, discussion guides. I, I saw that. I thought that was a really great idea. I wish everybody Yeah, I actually wanted this. to footnote it and have QR codes everywhere. And that was production wise. They didn't want to do no. that. So I put one of the There's end. also a bit.ly link. But uh, that is a really brilliant idea because I think that this will launch uh, uh, some people onto this uh, journey of exploration. And there's so much about this to learn and to and and we are. I hope I'm I'm I think this is gonna. You think this is gonna happen in my lifetime? I got 20 years left. You think I'll start to see some of this? And I don't expect well, to get extended past the 20. But it, it is happening, and you absolutely could be extended beyond okay. the 20. I'm, I'm not be. counting on that, but I do want to go to Singapore and have that uh, those, chick, <laughs> those chicken rings. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. Get the book. It, I highly recommend it. It's a really good read. The, the Genesis Machine, Our Quest to Rewrite Life in the Age of Synthetic Biology. Thanks for joining us. A special triangulation. Uh, this was one that was worth bringing, bringing, dusting off the microphone and cleaning off the table for. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Did you spend a lot of money on your brand new smartphone and then you look at the pictures on Facebook and Instagram and you're like, what in the world happened to that photo? Yes, you have. I know it happens to all of us. Well, you need to check out my show, Hands on Photography, where I'm going to walk you through simple tips and tricks that are going to help make you get the most out of your smartphone camera or your DSLR or mirrorless, whatever you have. And those shots are going to look so much better, I promise you. So make sure you're tuning in to twit.tv slash hop for hands-on photography to find out more.